everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill's podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking social media and politics with Associate Professor from the School of Media and Journalism, Daniel Kreese. It's becoming pretty clear that social media is changing the way that political campaigns are run and the way that politicians can reach out to their constituents and communicate and hear what they're thinking and express their opinions. What are some of the biggest ways that social media is changing the way that campaigns are run? One of the important stories of social media is that they are very quickly just basic ways that most citizens receive political information, share political information, communicate about politics, and really their lives more broadly. So um, social media is increasingly sort of just becoming an infrastructure for how we live our daily lives. And I think when you look at the political space, one of the things that campaigns, but also political organizations more generally, social movements, have sort of realized that if they want to get the attention of voters or citizens more broadly, they need to figure out a way to use social media uh, because it is so central to just how people live their lives. So, you know, if you think back to the 1960s, you could run broadcast advertisements on the big three networks and reach upwards of 80 to 90 percent of the American public. Um, that world is no longer in existence today. Um, in order to do that now, you would have to just run advertising across hundreds of different platforms, including you know things such as Facebook ads um, and promoted tweets and the like. So, you know, I think campaigns have really responded to that reality, and I think that where social media comes in is campaigns have tried to figure out how to navigate and get the attention of voters, uh, in particular, across these many diverse platforms. And the thing about social media, too, is that every platform is different. Uh, they all have different audiences, different genres, and campaigns use them for different reasons. What would you say is the correct way for a politician to use social media? Is there a right way versus a wrong way? First and foremost is that campaigns have to figure out what is their broader electoral strategy? Who are they trying to reach, whether it's supporters to give their volunteer hours or money, or voters to turn out or persuade? And then you have to think about every social media platform in terms of which audiences do we want to reach on those platforms and what is the most effective ways of communicating with them in order to reach those goals. So to take one example, Twitter, which you know we've seen a big example of during this election cycle with Donald Trump, right, who seemingly at least half the time sort of uses Twitter himself in order to make certain comments. The one thing that I've learned over and over again in my research is that Twitter is primarily a means for campaigns to influence journalists. It is the platform that all journalists are on. It's like the journalistic water cooler or the press bus. It's where they get ideas for stories. It's where they talk about story ideas for themselves. It's where they sort of gauge an informal sort of public opinion that informs and shapes their writing about how someone is doing on a debate stage or what the state of the race is. So Twitter is very important at sort of reaching those influencers in the media. And then that spills into their other coverage. So I think one of the things we see in 2016 is that Trump has used Twitter to great effect at setting the agenda of the professional press. So every time he says something that's controversial, every time he rebuts a claim of an opponent on Twitter, it makes its way into news coverage. It leads CNN or, you know, it it gets taken up by one of the other pundits who are sort of sitting on stage. So Trump's been very useful at, at sort of leveraging Twitter to set the agenda of the professional press. 
you know, Facebook looks very different than Twitter. That's primarily a medium where campaigns try to reach the general electorate because Facebook is seen as a place where everyone is. So if you're looking to target audiences who are undecided voters, that's where you go. Um, you go to Facebook and you run, you know, sponsored posts or online advertising to them there. And you try to recruit them and figure out what their email addresses are, or you run persuasion advertising to them because that's sort of the more general site as opposed to Twitter. And just to take one other last example, you know, Snapchat, which is primarily a new medium in 2016. And it's certain one that has a growing user base, particularly among younger voters. So, you know, campaigns have to figure out, well, who's there first and foremost, right? What are they looking for on Snapchat? Um, what sorts of communication is going to be effective or resonate with them? And, you know, ultimately, what do we want to get people to do? What's going to be the message? And one of the things that we found, and I'm doing a study now with a, a PhD student at UT Austin and another professor at Oregon, um, when we've been interviewing people is, is, you know, campaigns talk about how like they want to go after the youth vote on Snapchat and they use Snapchat to sort of offer those behind the scenes looks at candidates, those scenes from the campaign trail, um, the things that you wouldn't necessarily see just dialing into the television broadcast of the race. You know, they also want to use it to humanize a candidate um, to sort of show them in their off scripted moments, those behind the scenes moments when they're seemingly being, you know, realer people. And, you know, they view that as an important channel, particularly to reach millennials. And then the other thing is like you can buy, you know, filters um, that people turned out to really love to use. You know, they're going to use a campaign sponsored filter and then they're going to share implicitly the campaign's message or symbol sort of within their own social networks. Looking at what's going on right now, who would you say is doing social media correctly? You know, just looking at this cycle, like, you know, Donald Trump clearly used social media very effectively during the Republican primaries. Um, to set the agenda of the press and to be all over and to achieve media saturation, right? I would say that, you know, looking out now, Bernie Sanders was very effective at running an insurgent campaign and using social media to help him organize and gain resources and gain media attention and gain volunteers to go door to door during the primaries in, in 2016. It was a very different use of Trump. I mean, for Sanders, it was both about the candidate's message, but I think it was even more about the organizing capacity that came with it, the fundraising, the volunteerism. So, you know, those are two different ways of using it. In terms of correct, right, we would say, well, Trump won his primary and Sanders didn't. Does that mean that Trump was more correct? Again, it has to fit who the candidate is, and a lot of it is contextual, right? Uh, Sanders and Trump are running in very different primaries with very different factions of the party that they need to appeal to, facing very different structures, et cetera. But, you know, when I sort of look out, I mean, I, I think that there's a couple different strategies you could use um, that would be effective. I mean, I think the resource and organizing story has become a real big hallmark of Democratic campaigns and one that I think Democrats are pretty good at. Small dollar online fundraising, converting energy and enthusiasm into electoral resources, whether that's funds or volunteers, has long been a hallmark of Democratic Party campaigns. I think on the other side of the aisle, you see somebody like Trump use social media sort of as a really as a megaphone to sort of amplify the candidate's voice. I think if you look at Ted Cruz, I think Ted Cruz used social media very effectively over the last couple cycles to build his brand and to get his ideological sort of position sort of out there and wider credence within the activism base of the Republican Party. 
I think Rand Paul has been really effective at leveraging social media to get more attention to his libertarian positions that really cross-cut both parties' ideologies in some ways. I mean, you know, all of his work around surveillance, for instance, um, where he used and leveraged Twitter to help really sort of uh, draw debate to those sorts of issues. I thought I thought he used really well just in terms of a governance sense of putting this on the agenda. And of course, I mean, I think if you look at like the Obamacare rollout, you know, it's clear that the that the president and his team thought a lot about how they need to use multiple media platforms and social media platforms and new outlets like BuzzFeed in order to get the president's message out there. And we're quite adept at sort of leveraging social media to appeal to many different demographics and the citizenry to get them to sign up for Obamacare, to make policy fun and humorous and, and to sort of leverage and capitalize on that. When talking about politicians using social media, how important is style and tone? I mean, this isn't really a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. What works for Donald Trump won't really work for Hillary Clinton and the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think in interviews with practitioners and you know people who do this work, one of the things that they often talk about is they have to know who their candidate is, right? and who that character is and what would be believable to an audience or seem authentic to an audience. I think one of the hallmarks of Trump is that, you know, he sort of runs as this anti-conventional politician, somebody who's uniquely authentic, right? Um, Somebody who says what he believes without necessarily considering, you know, how that fits within the norms of political discourse. For Trump, at least when he writes his own tweets, it seems like that's just a perfect vehicle for him, um, where he sort of gives that seemingly off-scripted snap reaction, the blunt language, the discourse that's not in keeping with political consensus, that's central to who Trump is and how he's running as a candidate. That style works for him as an insurgent, sort of outsider, anti-politician. It's hard to imagine that style having any credibility coming from somebody like Hillary Clinton, who is a distinguished stateswoman, has been the secretary of state, a senator from the state of New York, a first lady, but a longtime figure in public life isn't suddenly all, you know, going to be breaking all the norms of political discourse. And even if she did, it wouldn't be seen as authentic at all. It would just be seen as basically like, her adopting a style that doesn't fit with her as somebody who is sort of a longtime public servant. She can't entirely reinvent herself. So I think what you what you see on, on the Democratic side of the aisle during this general election is that her staffers sort of try to come up with a social media voice that's more in keeping with who she is as a public persona and that reflects and sort of honors her role in American political life. So what you see is more policy-focused tweets and or statements. I think you see, at least on social media platforms such as Instagram, like uh, a large push about her sort of historic role as the first female candidate, a sort of personalizing and humanizing sort of way of portraying her as a mother and grandmother. It's that sort of appeal to sort of say, like, this is who her persona is as a serious public servant, and that nods to that. And I think Trump is really the outlier. I mean, a big question is like, would Trump's strategy work for anyone else that's not Trump, right? And, and I suspect a large part of that bit is based on who Trump is as a person and a candidate. So one of the things that I personally find really fascinating about politicians using social media is the low can be so low. I mean, you can crash and burn on social media, 
but there's really only so high you can get with it. There's only so much you can actually achieve on social media. So when the risks are that high, is it really worth it to be on social media the way that people like Donald Trump are? That's a great question. And I'll give two answers to that. The first is to talk about social media as being a fundamentally performative genre. And what I mean by that is simply that timing and moments and context really matter for when things either take off or fall really flat, right? So I did this great study of the 2012 uh, campaign where I spent a lot of time with folks who ran social media accounts uh, for the Obama and Romney campaigns. Um, and you know, one of the things that campaigners on both sides of the aisle told me was that um, you know, oftentimes like a lot of their tweets would sort of fall into the ether, right? It would just sort of be that like routine, putting out content, et cetera. But then every so often they would like just hit the moment right. And this is their language, right? We would hit the moment right and things would take off. And, you know, it tended to be those things that like were very sort of just perfect timing, right? In the, in the right context at the right moment was sort of the right message. On the Obama campaign, one of the things that they really posted or spoke about in this way was the um, This Seat's Taken tweet, which after Clint Eastwood gave his soliloquy to the empty chair on the Republican National Convention stage in 2012, you know, the Obama campaign sort of very snarkily, you know, put a photograph of Obama's chair in the West Wing from behind and put it out on Twitter where it just blew up, right? It just totally went viral. And the neat thing about it, and here's where the consequence question comes in, is like, does it matter? Well, you know, all of a sudden, in part because of that, everyone is talking about Clint Eastwood's soliloquy the next day, and Obama's sort of snarky reply is incorporated into all the media coverage, right, of the election. So it gives that story further legs and sort of makes that Republican night about that chair as opposed to other things, right? So... Does it matter? Well, it certainly mattered at setting the agenda of the professional press, working its way into convention coverage the next day. And, you know, ultimately, I think for the campaign, they saw that as a winning thing because it helped set the tone. Just one other example. I mean, this comes from the Romney campaign is they, you know, they were talking about uh, the woman who ran their social media was, was talking about how right in the moment after the first debate, when Romney had what was perceived to be that really great performance against Obama, you know, they sent out a fundraising tweet that just, you know, blew up. It just took off. It was like in that right moment, people were excited and energized and Republicans were ready and they saw a candidate really bring it to the sitting president and sort of best them on the debate stage. They were ready to open their wallets, right? They were ready to give money. And, you know, that became one of their biggest online fundraising days. So does it matter? Yes. And it can be particularly consequential at particular moments. So at least when we're looking at this election, it's pretty safe to say that social media is creating a spectacle of some kind. Is that okay, or is it a bad thing that social media is becoming this presence and creating this spectacle out of the election? One of the things I think that we often forget is that more people are engaged because politics is engaging, right? Like the and and if we think about politics as as you know my colleague at Yale would argue is more like a team sport right and sort of a rivalry sport and and forms of entertainment and that those things are actually valuable for getting people engaged then you start to look at this as having a little bit more normative value that like you know we might wring our hands but like maybe it's important that democracy is partially about spectacle and engagement and humor and sarcasm and people going after each other and that like we kind of like watching that 
I think if we were to strip politics of all those things that we tend to think of as bad and all the entertainment values of politics, and if we all just sat around and talked like we were in a seminar room all the time, which is great for the seminar room, but like very few people would want to participate or be engaged in participating. And that wouldn't be good for democracy either. So I think that there's plus and minuses with all these things, but like purely rational, factual, sober, unemotional, you know, debate might not be all it's cracked up to be either because most people aren't going to be responsive to that and are going to tune out or just drop out of the process. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said.